Good morning, and welcome to this edition of Advice Worth Keeping, KPMG's podcast series where we interview firm executives and thought leaders, as well as third-party industry luminaries and experts on important global business trends, topics, and leading practices. My name is Stan LaPique, and I lead global research for KPMG's Management Consulting Services Group. And so I'm pleased to have with us here today on the Advice Worth Keeping podcast series, Mr. Stephen Hill. Stephen's a principal in the U.S. firm. He's one of the firm's thought leaders on a variety of topics. And what we wanted to do today is corner him to get a little bit of his insight and perspective on what do we see as some of the top trends facing KPMG clients going into 2018 and beyond. Obviously, there's a lot going on in the world from a geopolitical standpoint, from an economic standpoint. Steve is very close with some of the key clients in the firm and some of the key executives. So, Steve, just want to get your take on what do you see going on for next year and what should our clients be aware of and what should they be focused on and what should they be prepared for? Well, I think the, the, you know, the, the, the biggest overall theme for 2018, and frankly, this is not a single-year issue, is uh, complexity um, and complexity management and managing all of the factors that are driving trends in the marketplace, causing differences at the end of the day in customer expectation and preference in terms of interaction, as well as um, responding to all of the political, the economic, demographic, and, and technological forces that are working on, on the marketplace and on business. But I think the most important thing for CEOs and C-level officers to get framed clearly in their head is what are they going to be focusing on? I think one of the key themes that consumes a lot of the trends that are going on today is what we call intelligent automation. And KPMG, intelligent automation isn't a technology. It's not a silver bullet. It is basically taking three factors, which I think, again, are going to be the pillars of intelligent evolution in business in the next half of a decade. That is cloud that is data, and that is smart computers, and using those three pillars from which to build a foundation of a new enterprise. We have a framework called the 21st Century Enterprise, which is basically a construct that we use to help our clients and help ourselves, frankly, understand the implications of forces that work in the marketplace and disruptions, particularly as they come in from technology. Those aspects of 21st Century Enterprises, how they use enabling technology, to really make fundamental changes in the customer experience, how they use technology and, and enablement to fundamentally change the value of the assets in the organization. Many services firms today are fundamentally people at hours and rates. For example, many more assets are going to be used in those same firms, coupled with people to provide services to clients in the future. A lot of businesses today that have people involved in them are going to be using smart computers, data, and cloud to supplement and augment people. And I think contrary to a lot of the noise in the marketplace, it's not going to be about taking people out of the business and replacing robots and keeping people unemployed. So that's not the case. I think what's going to happen is technology is going to uplift workforce and really help people use their heads more and their brawn perhaps a little bit less. I think it's going to be really good because we'll solve problems we didn't have time to get to before didn't even recognize. The third aspect of the 21st century enterprise is how much of what you do today should be repositioned as a service, as a service. I think thinking about all of your value chain with the potential to create as-a-service capabilities is important and really, I believe, unlocks a lot of opportunities for different kinds of business models that I think are going to be important going forward. The last category, 
supported by all these enabling technologies, which is a category in itself, is the workforce. There is no question that the workforce today is under a lot of disruption, whether it's contingent, cloud-based forms, networked ecosystems, etc. There are millions of ways to think about establishing workflow inside of the interests of your enterprise without having necessarily to hire people in the traditional sense. And so I think those four categories supported by enabling technologies is a construct that helps C-level officers understand what disruption will have an impact and where the impacts will occur and how to make sense of how to turn what could be a negative trend into a positive opportunity. With that in mind, looking at their services, looking at their value chain and thinking about where is point B from where they sit today and point A of different services and business models in their business. Today, I think most organizations are constructed in an analog manner, meaning people in boxes and pipes and organizations. I think there is a lot of need for CLO officers to step back and to look at the value chain, look at their customers and the third parties that are involved in their delivery of value to say, which of these things might we digitize? What are the most high-value targets, whether it's front, middle, or back office, that should be digitized from analog structures? Taking it a step further from what we call digitized to industrialized, which is rethinking the workflow entirely. So taking a nine-step process where you have people checking people in an analog world to a digital process with mimicking the same in many cases in a digital case, inefficient steps, uh, but just doing so digitally to take out latency of people walking down halls or sending mail to other offices for people to check, that's an improvement, but it isn't necessarily really changing the dynamics of the workflow until you industrialize. That industrialization may change the workflow entirely, taking a nine-step process to perhaps two, maybe even one. That industrialization also generally takes on the ability to scale customers and client base. And then the last evolutionary curve that I think people should be thinking through in the context of, again, using the 21st century as a model framing for where things end up is platform business models. And that third S-curve, which I've called platformization, which is a made-up word, but basically what it says is how much of your business has an opportunity to become a platform business model. And surprisingly, there are a lot where all of a sudden you have an opportunity to be a broker between supply and demand, whereas before you were taking one side or the other and trying to work it heavily. And these platform business models, by the way, have been made famous with the likes of Uber and Airbnb and others, but literally that business model applicable to many enterprises of the 21st century and where you can create an instance in your organization of service or a bundle of services that can be reconstituted in a platform business model, either for internal consumption or for customers, is really something that should be considered. I think, Dan, when you look at all these trends and disruptions specifically, whether it's drones or AI or blockchain, virtual reality, I mean, all these little points of capability need to be put into a business framing that says, what does it mean? You know, how do I use this mosaic of opportunities relative to capability in an intelligent way based on cloud access to lots of data because you need lots of data to train systems and you train systems of the future. You don't program them the same way we used to. Smart computer APIs like Hall, those are the kind of conversations that business leaders should have in 2018. And I think the window for starting those conversations is pretty concise. This is going to play out over the next half of a decade, and those companies that are heavily analog-based today are going to be challenged in that time frame to reinvent themselves in a digital way. And if they decide they don't want to do that, then they may find themselves in a very big disadvantage against either newcomers that are going to have these 
native capabilities of digital or incumbents who have invested and disrupted themselves or created subsidiaries or departments or ventures that look to be new business models that might cannibalize the existing business over time to compete in the marketplace. You've listed a set of key priorities for organizations, and then you just highlighted the challenges that a traditionally analog organization would have. But for the more progressive organization, you've hit upon a variety of key points they should be focused on, whether it's labor and looking at labor as an enabler versus something you get rid of, looking at investments of various technologies such as intelligent automation. But are there certain priorities the more progressive organization should have, or is it really something where they need to be looking holistically across kind of the gamut of things you talked about, from labor, from technology, from understanding the changing business environment? Are there places people should start, or should this people be in organizations, or is this really you need to be holistic in terms of looking at these challenges, which every challenge is also an opportunity. Yeah, well, I think, to be frank with you, I think you need to do both. And I know that that sounds like an answer that is motherhood and apple pie, but the reality is I think you need to be very practical but pragmatic about doing both, meaning this. There's an analyst report which is titled Hand on the Mountain, which I thought was a very good piece written about starting digital transformation. And a friend of mine wrote this. That said, you got to start climbing the mountain by putting your hand on it. At the end of the day, I think that's very true in this case in the context of doing both. You've got to step back and understand that you have a mountain to climb. It's important that you plan out your approach to the mountain. But you have to understand that there's no possible way that you're going to be able to plan all of the curves and turns and trials and tribulations that you'll have in getting to the top. It's kind of like using a nautical analogy. You can dead wreck in line from New York to English Channel, but there's no way for you to plan out what winds you're going to have to correct for and across the Atlantic. And this digital transformation discussion is very similar. That you've got to start by putting your hand on the mountain. You've got to understand what you fundamentally want to do with your customers. So knowing your customers and their preferences, the demographics shifts, and how you need to start addressing them in the future is very important. And there's plenty of work that you can do to research in your customer bases in general, in most cases, of how those preferences are shifting. You can commission your own, but at the end of the day, there's a lot of public information on these things. In terms of your workforce, same kind of thing, right? You need to think about where your workforce is vulnerable, where you have opportunities. If you have massive BPO operations today, those are things that you should be thinking about, RPA or robotic process automation, perhaps reshoring some of those things to servers. I can tell you that there's a lot of opportunity to work on both the denominator and the numerator as it relates to this digital transformation discussion. But importantly, understanding that mountain and understanding that you have to get started in that context, having a portfolio of what I call intelligent automation initiatives underway is what's important to do to start to get your hand on that mountain. Meaning don't just chase the numerator. Don't just go after your BPO deal that you want to renegotiate away from a BPO into an RPA deal and think that that's an effective first step. I think a really good first step for most organizations will be a combination of three or four or five different initiatives where some of them will be much more on the augmentation end of the spectrum where there are people are being supplemented by intelligent computers and to enhance their job and to create more value than they have and include with that some very pragmatic, efficiency-seeking RPA-type initiatives where you're taking labor or cost arbitrage from people to machines. I think... The latter isn't very intellectually stimulating, nor is it particularly risky necessarily. Execution risk is the biggest one. I think on the other side of it, in terms of creating 
supplementation for experts, that's your opportunity to create real differentiation and real competitive advantage. That area is where I think C-level officers should spend most of their time in their hands on the mountain because it is that competitive advantage, it is that differentiation that may define a market differently, may define customer preference differently than just chasing the numerator. So again, having a portfolio, different opportunities in this intelligent automation effort, this digital transformation effort, Dan, is important in picking enough so that if something doesn't go quite right, it isn't necessarily the technology that you picked or the group of technologies you picked that were wrong. It may have been execution. Don't throw the baby right. out of the with the bathwater. Right. Because <laughs> what happens is this is happening to us whether you like it or not. And if you don't figure it out, shame on you. And if it doesn't work for you and you throw it out until the next administration comes in and realize that you know, you're behind the curve, that's not a good place to put your stakeholders. No, I think that's a great point to wrap up on, Steve. I think there's a lot of bathwater out there that organizations are going to need to sift through over the coming years. But I think your point of taking a strategic perspective and looking at the big picture of this, but recognizing that along the way, you may have some issues and some challenges and some things that don't work, but keep the big picture in mind. And you're right. I agree that I think there's some short-term benefits you can gain from looking at RPO over BPO, for example. But in the scheme of things, that's not going to define the competitive differentiator from the standpoint of your long-term success as an organization. Steve, great insights. Thank you very much for joining us here today. We'll have to get you back again, get to the next level of detail about some of the execution elements, given that you've been very close with a lot of our clients that are pursuing this. Again, thank you very much for your time today, Steve. My pleasure. And you can find the links to the items you referenced in the show today below the podcast. If you're online, of course, the URL for that is kpmg.com slash us slash podcast. That's a wrap. Thanks for your participation.